Welcome to the Inky Comet, a collection of nuanced conversations about the Black experience. I'm your host, Mia Marie. On this podcast, we explore topics that empower, educate, and illustrate the necessity for honest conversations about being Black, all with the aim of reaching personal liberation and challenging systems of oppression. To be Black in America is to know that the union between Black women and men is a fragile one, a union rife with strife bearing the weight of 400 years of oppression. We are stronger together, although we rarely see it that way. Not stronger in the same way as our ancestors or parents, but stronger in that we've intentionally examined how white supremacy systematically has sowed seeds of division between us, as in we are healing our internalized oppression and denying it as our birthright, reaching new individual heights, confirming to the gods above what they already knew to be true when they created black love and black people. Black men and women, there is a gap between us. We are each other's mirror, and without it, how will we ever see the soil on our face, the sheer exhaustion, beauty, and startling creative ingenuity underneath? In this episode, I'm joined by a dear friend, Francois, to take a closer look at the opportunity and need to close the gap between cisgender black men and women as a means of reaching collective liberation for black people. Please enjoy an honest conversation between a black woman and man. This is Nia Marie, and I'm really excited about our conversation today. And I know that I usually say that I'm excited about our conversation, but I really am in terms of talking about the gap and bridging the gap between Black men and women. Coming from a Black household, uh, our unity as a community, our unity as a race has always been at the forefront of my mind. And, you know, scrolling through social media these days, especially on Twitter, I think that speaks to a divide and a point of healing. So I'm really excited about our conversation today. And I'm really even more excited that I can have this conversation with a black man. You should be excited. So Francois, without further ado, do you want to introduce yourself today? Oh, man. Well, Mia, thank you very much for, for having me on this sacred space. I do believe it is a sacred space. This is where you, you know, share your truths and you have really dope, interesting, thought-provoking conversations. So I'm really excited to be a contributor today. Um, my name is Francois. I was born and raised in Montego Bay, Jamaica. came to the States in 2006 for school and I've stayed here ever since. Um, I've called New York my home for the past 12 years. And I I work in marketing and yeah, I met me through work and you know, we've we've had a lot of conversations then like our own like, you know, collective journey through work and excited to have this conversation with you, Nia. I'm excited as well. So let's just jump right into it. I think what started this conversation was actually a text thread that we were in in terms of we were talking about just black men not being as committed and invested in our community as black women. And um, I've been wanting to frame this conversation, wanting to have this conversation for some time now. I think even just personally wanting to do some healing in this area and getting gaining some understanding, especially from the perspective of a black man. And I feel like we finally have framed the conversation in a way that it feels appropriate for Ninky Comet. So I'm excited about that. And we're going to talk about two things today that I think are really important for, I would say, what we feel like are important in terms of bridging the gap 
between black men and women. But first is something that I have witnessed in, I would say, my personal life, in different professional spaces, and on social media that black men um, largely don't see appear as collectively invested in the liberation of black people and maintaining black culture as black women. So I mean, in terms of who is really driving um, social activism is generally being led by black women who it feels like are defending black people. And then like all black people, not just black men are tend to be like black women and trans black people. Um, And sometimes there seems to be a missing voice of black men present in those conversations as if they don't necessarily care. And also, or other times, um, you see black men, I would say, supporting the other side, which is like always unfortunate. And then the other part that I would say, and maybe not, yeah, and I think there is sides, right? I think there is sides in terms of do you support black people or do you support anti-blackness? So that's the line that we're going to draw here today. And then the other part that I want to say is I think black men also don't value the partnership of black women in terms of achieving both individual and collective goals. They don't value it or see, um, value it as much as black women value partnership with black men. And, that, and, those, and perhaps those are, again, just things that we are perceiving that we see in the media. But those have been mm-hmm. kind of our experiences that I want to talk through today. Any thoughts on that, Francois? No, I think these are, you know, two very valid and thought-provoking if you will, I, I think just before, or to, to begin, I would like to just like challenge you on on these notions as well. Like when you say that that men aren't interested in the liberation of black people as black women are, um, what examples would you draw on to to kind of support that thesis or argument? So what's top of mind for me when I think about it is domestic violence um, and just like Mm -hmm. occurrences of domestic violence. I would even just say like sexual assault that happens within our community. It's low hanging fruit, but I do think it's really important because as a culture, for better or worse, we do place a lot of value on our celebrities and celebrities are highly visible. And in the past, when there have been instances of black men who have been accused of sexual assault against black women or domestic violence against black women, on both sides, unfortunately, within the black community, you hear people jump to defend that person, jump to defend the person that is the accused person at the expense of the victim, and they tear apart the victim, um, who was often a black woman. That is one of those, and perhaps that's not an example of the collective liberation of our culture, but I do think it is in terms of thinking about like, like what are the investment in this idea of what are our values as black people and what are the things that we won't stand for? And one of the things that I feel like we shouldn't stand for is violence or harm against black women. And so if we're jumping to the defense of the perpetrator every time, this, this, the, yeah. this, or the message that sends is that black women don't aren't worthy of protection and that we don't believe black women and we don't believe them when, when they say that they, when, when they have been harmed clearly demonstrated, especially if this person has talent or has this status that we feel is more important than her voice and her story. So I think that's like one instance. I think another yeah. thing, another example is a lot of our leading politicians right now that are really pushing, I would say, the envelope and really fighting for our rights in, in Washington and, and like even on a local level for black people that are, I think, mm-hmm. is more aligned in what is really good for us 
they tend to be black women. And that's not to say that there aren't good black men leading across the country. Yeah. But I just think on a national scale, the folks that are really putting their neck out there are black women. So, yeah. And then, unfortunately, I would say, and just given the events of this this week with the killing of Mikia Bryant, which is so devastating, you see prominent yeah. black figures. I think there was the, the leader from D.C., the local politician from D.C., a black man who said that he understood why the cops shot her, which is devastating that a black it's man... So and, it's so disappointing. It's just unexcusable that a black man in a position of power who is influential would use their voice to say that when black women every time a black man is killed black women flock when flock to the protection of black men and you don't see that same um, reciprocity from black men you don't see that protection of trans black women or even the um, acknowledgement that trans black women are dying at a higher rate right now or that we as a as a community need to address whatever is the underlying hate that is like that is um, resulting in this violence, this misogynoir, this violence against black women and black trans women. So those are some examples that I are top of mind for me. And I would say even just, I think on a superficial level, black men, every chance that they get in rap songs, they um, degrade black women and they uplift colorist, colorism and these standards of beauty that are more Eurocentric and not reflective of black women. And I think that yeah. is also very harmful that again, when you have a voice, you have a platform, the first thing that you want to do is I want a red bone. I want a, I want a mixed girl. I want all of these things. Like those are very harmful messages that whether like whether or not you are conscious of it, it is projecting this message that you don't value black women mass scale, because if you did, you wouldn't you wouldn't put those messages out there, right? For everyone to be, for it to be repeated, to be sung in lyrics. Those are, those are horrible. I, growing up in Denver, yeah. Colorado was like, that was so hard listening to music that point blank called you ugly, point, wait, point blank, you know, took away your value. And to not see the connection of the harm that we do to the psyche of black women for the advantage of your ego or for, uh, for a lyric is, I don't know, it's crazy to me. So those are yeah. those are my examples of how I feel like black men just don't show up. No, I hear you very valid. And just to put, I guess, more color to your what you mentioned about the, the politician in D.C. So his name is Trayon White, a councilman and ward aide for um for Washington D.C. And the post that he made on Instagram, this actually you sent this to me. And I actually didn't see it because I I'm actually making an effort to spend less time on on social media. But what he he posted a picture of of, of Bryant being killed. Uh, um, a picture of the video, rather, which is blurred out, and his caption was, "I don't see this as a George Floyd or those other cases. I just don't." With the with the shrug emoji, um, and I do think it is disappointing because we have someone who is supposed to be a proponent for black people, uh, you know, perpetuating this idea of misogynoir. I'm I'm not sure that if this victim of state-sanctioned violence wasn't uh, a young black woman, if you would actually have that sense as well. And regardless if it's not a George Floyd incident or whatever it is, like, you know, what benefit do you have of even making that comparison? What's the reason for making this comparison? And also, like, you know, are you okay with a policeman murdering someone just because that person may have done something wrong? Like, you know, is is this, why why is this an acceptable thing for us to to even have a conversation about it. You know, it 
So I think that was really disappointing for me, for me to see. But I do think that the idea of um, misogynoir is like too prevalent um, within our community. And it's something that certainly needs to be addressed because, frankly, that we don't see the same level of criticism when it comes to, to black men um, as victims as we see when black women are the victims. And so I do think it's important that we highlight uh, and just like, call it out. I think you also mentioned that leading politicians that are currently pushing the envelope um, tend to be black women. I think certainly um, black women are certainly more visible within uh, you know the, the political and activist spaces at the moment. And to be honest, I, I actually like to see that. And I am, I am not sure if, you know, the rise in popularity or visibility of Black women in these spaces is a direct result of Black men kind of stepping back and kind of disassociating themselves from the work or, or even just completely abdicating responsibility of collective freedom. And I, I, I say that because I think even as we look at, you know, black history and all the the leaders in the in these spaces, they tend to be black men. I think black men were often lifted up in these spaces and oftentimes you actually saw that there were black women who were standing beside them, who were doing the groundwork without um visibility, um, without any kind of access that that man would have gotten those times and they 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 did it without the level of recognition that should have gotten as well and so i i do appreciate the fact that now black women in these spaces are actually getting this kind of visibility and this kind of popularity and recognition for their work and so i guess I, i'm struggling to understand then like you know is this a a good development um in our community to say that yes Black women have been victims of, uh, you know, sexism and misogyny through like uh, their lack of visibility in this work in the past, and now like you know they're actually getting. So I think um, these are some of the things that I'm actually trying to grapple with to understand that you know is is this instance like you know uh, a question of black men abdicating their responsibility, or is it more of the fact that you know black women are actually getting the the light shown on them as they should have, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a really great point. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, such a great point and really great perspective. And I, I believe, and I agree with you. It is great that black women are able to, you know, shine a light. Like Diane Nash is one that's just coming top of mind for me of just like black women who historically were not given their due props, their flowers in terms of their contribution to the movement. So that's that's so real. I think where yeah. the struggle for me comes from is that it doesn't seem like, you know, as we talked about during the civil rights movement and through time, black women were standing side by side black men in their fight even if black men were at the forefront yeah. because they're they're men and i don't know right. i'm curious if black men are standing by the side of black women who are fighting on their behalf or just like absent from the battlefield so although it might be positive that they are not taking up the center stage or taking up to like more space yeah. or spotlight than they're due i'm also like is this because you're not there and i we didn't talk about this yet but i think also Perhaps why I would say black men aren't as a part of the fight in as much is because I think they tend to be more focused on individualistic goals or capitalistic goals in terms of what and determining what success for them looks like, right? Like I think black men yeah. tend to 
focus on achieving their own personal material left or material wealth in their lifetime. Whereas I think black women are like more purpose driven and can be more inclusive of what they are doing and the legacy that they're leaving and the culture that they're leaving. Whereas black men focus on this family unit. Like I want to get my unit together or like the coloristic ideas of, I don't want no dark skin babies. I want biracial babies. Like all of it goes to right. me, right? It's like very individualistic idea of what for them is success. So I don't know what that, maybe it's a good time for us to unpack why, or maybe kind of what we've found to be the reasons why um, black men tend to focus more on what's within their individual control rather than our collective community. So we, you actually shared this, um, this article with me, which I really appreciated, Francois, which was the challenges facing black men. And throughout it, they, um, it just goes through a lot of different statistics that show and make the case that black men are at a larger disadvantage than other. They said it was actually black and Native American men they started with, and they just started focusing on black men, are at a larger disadvantage than any other group um, within America. And they talked about being poorly served by schools, remaining in poverty, less likely to participate in the workforce. They have twice as, they're twice the rate of unemployment as white men and et cetera. And I think it was like very clear in making the case that the experiences of black men as compared to white men and women is much worse. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it misses the mark. And sometimes when we focus so heavily on the experiences of black men, we don't see the larger picture in that black women are often just one or two percentage points below black men. And for those, yeah. for whatever reasons, that one or two percentage points then becomes this great privilege that we don't even acknowledge the struggles of women, of black women. And I think we also tend to focus on these things are when we look at these statistics, they're very much like centered on like, are black men making money? Are they in the workforce? They're very rooted in patriarchal standards. And I, I wonder if this harping on the way that black men don't show up in the traditional sense of a man, quote unquote, if that mm -hmm. adds to of like, if that adds to this idea that black men need to overcompensate their masculinity, their manhood through these capitalistic goals of I do need to go out and make money. I do need to have like a certain wife. Yeah. I do need to do these things because society is is taking me out of it in this way rather than I think maybe looking at the larger picture in terms of this is a systemic problem and not just an individual you can't get money I don't know what are your thoughts I think you raise an interesting question or an interesting focus on the idea of black men not showing up in the way that we should and that's something I've actually been trying to think through and try to to understand that yes it is it is an issue. And just acknowledging that, that, you know, yes, like, you know, black men need to actually show up more for the cause, for the community. I've been trying to grapple with the why, right? And I also, I shared this um, conversation that I found on YouTube between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin, two of, uh, you know, the most revered black Americans. And I think they're, even though I, it's, they're somewhat recent, in their existence, I think Nikki, I mean, Nikki Giovanni is still, still alive, but even though they're from different generations, they are somewhat contemporary in the sense that they're always mentioned in contemporary social issues as they relate to the Black experience or Black American experience. Nikki Giovanni kind of raised an interesting point about, you know, the, the way that Black men show up or don't for the Black woman. And James Baldwin kind of had a a historical rationale for 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 that reason. And he spoke in depth about the relationship between 
power and morality and more specifically the 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 plight of the black male as it relates to you know that relationship between power and morality and he explained it in the in the sense that he's saying that there's a price expected to to, to be paid and that price is to outwit your your sex and what that means is that you know largely historically men were banned from assuming like roles, duties, and the overall joys of being a man. With within like you know the journey of oppression and our journey to freedom from oppression, there has been this erosion of um, a man's sexuality, and that erosion tends to destroy his ability to love anybody. I'm not saying that love and sex are are the same thing, are are the same thing, but they they are certainly related, right? And he gave an example of his father. His father hated his job, but he couldn't quit because. He had kids to feed. He lived his whole life in silence, except like, when they went to church on a Sunday morning. His boss calls him a nigger. His manhood is being destroyed day by day. And all of this is happening while the woman that you love is watching. And, and so there's this pressure that's being built up under which, like, you know, the conditions in which we're all living in are just completely inhumane. And he mentioned that his father eventually went mad that they deliberately trained his father to be a slave and and now the the bills are racking up the bill needs to be paid and paid and oftentimes men want and desire sympathy and understanding for um for that spiritual disaster nick's response to that he elaborated on the relationship this predicament you know the the black man is becoming the person to stay away from in her eyes as a black woman that she found it fascinating that a black man can be nothing in the street and at the same time be so fearful in his home. And like, how can he treat his family the same way he's being treated at work? So they, it, it just perpetuates this vicious cycle. She raises a really good point about the idea that if a man needs a woman to walk 10 paces behind him for him to feel like a man, then he can never walk far enough behind him for him to feel the way that he wants to feel. And I think that was a very poignant point. If that is the, the situation that presents itself based on our action, um, then there isn't necessarily anything that we could do to really, you know, exalt ourselves as the man that like we want to or could be. I thought that was like a very interesting conversation um, to put in perspective of this conversation that we're having, which it also reminded me of the play Fences. Fences that, you know, by August Wilson, a very famed, acclaimed um, screenwriter. So Fences kind of ex- it examines race relations within Black America and um, it explores the evolving African-American experience and the impact that these experiences have on our relationships with the people that love us the most. Talk about like this main character, Troy, who was a baseball player back in his day, who like, got caught up, went to prison, uh, is now working as a, a garbage man and all that. And he had significant difficulties in the relationships that he had, particularly with his son and his his lover. And I think um, there's a such, if you even um, watch it on screen, I saw, I saw it recently, I think it was on Netflix or one of those streaming um, shows, but it was brilliant in this depiction, I think. Who was the, the main actor of it? Denzel. How you gonna forget Denzel? Denzel, yeah. I mean, okay, I just, I just drew a blank there. But um, it, it, Denzel really did an amazing job of portraying the, the toxicity of that environment that Troy found himself in. And I think Fences is just symbolic of the emotional barrier that 
you know, Troy erected between himself and his adult relationship. I think it, it was like he struggled with actually holding down, like, you know, a well-paying job. He had to deal with, like, you know, racism. And, and there's even this, like, poignant scene in, in, in the play where, where Troy was talking to his son. And his son asked him, like, you know, why, why don't you like me? And he was talking about, like, you know, who says I have to like you? Uh, you know, and I think it, it was just such su- such an emotional scene that illustrates how toxic the relationship to racism or, or these vestiges of racism can be to or direct lived present-day experiences. And so just uh, trying to explore, I guess, like, why we see this level of toxicity being perpetuated in modern-day society. I think those two... That conversation between Nikki and, and, and James, I'm calling them as if, like, you know, I'm familiar. <laughs> um, I have to show my elders more respect. Um, but also, in terms of, I think it kind of illustrates, like, you know, what we're talking about in terms of how that man tends to show up or not for for the cause. And I actually just finished um, reading a book called The Committed by Viet Thanh Nguyen. It explores, like, you know, this, French Vietnamese person who studied in the United States, and the book kind of explores concepts of it, it talks about a lot of dualities, dualities between communism and capitalism, between religion and atheism, between oppression and freedom, so on and so forth. And one of the things that he kind of highlighted is that on, I, and he was talking about from a Vietnamese perspective, like on their quest to become free, like a lot of them, a lot of Vietnamese men actually became oppressive. And I think it kind of highlights how universal this concept is. Like somewhere uh, within the journey of oppressed people, there's this transition that isn't necessarily intentional. But on our on our journey to become free, we eventually start to perpetuate a lot of the systems of oppression that we're trying to free ourselves from. And I think um, black men largely are guilty of that because we tend to to replicate patriarchy within the black community and i would say that that men's freedom is a replication of, of white supremacy um and we see you mentioned a lot of uh, examples of that and i think that's where you know that individualistic capitalistic mindset comes through uh, where we tend not to be for the collective uh, and so i think just kind of thinking through that and highlight acknowledging that 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 is an issue like you know how do we uh, come to a solution but uh, i know i've been rambling so i'd love to, to hear your thoughts on it oh no all good points and i'm glad you brought up fences because i mean it's it's also true and i i see that experience especially even just the just the manifestation of the frustration of you know being out in this world trying to provide for your family and also being mm-hmm. you know cut out and oppressed and hurt in your own way on a daily basis like I definitely grew up in that right like that was definitely a dynamic between my parents um my dad is from Mississippi was born there and then moved to Denver Colorado and I see that in my grandfather right I see that in my great-grandfather when I think about why their relationships between the men and women in my family have been difficult it is to Mm -hmm. this point in terms of 
I mean, it, it, the legacy goes, it goes all the way back to slavery, right? This generational yep. trauma in terms of what does it do to you when the person that you love is being raped by other people, being raped and beaten, right. and you are helpless to it. And I do think that is a very real trauma that we have experienced in America, right? And like, or throughout the, the diaspora, but it's specifically where, you know, I would say in the Americas overall, right? And yeah. I think that we have... So I don't want to dismiss that. And I think to varying degrees, generations have felt that. Where I'm wondering now is when do, when do we stop that cycle and when does healing begin? Because I think for many of us, I want to say for many black men, and perhaps this is from a point of place of privilege myself, but we have to take ownership of our healing at some point, right? Like we can't continue to sure. be a risk, like to react to our environment and to the powers that be. And I think to say that like, yes, this is, I mean, so I think James Baldwin's argument in 19 in the seventies was like valid. I don't know if I would say that same argument is valid in 20, 2021, right. Where I think that access yeah. to, you know, understanding, because I think part of this is tapping into and becoming and building our own self-awareness and valuing that collective liberation more than you do the individual, mm -hmm. individual one. Right. And I think that comes from like some elevated and mature thought. So I definitely hear it. I think it's really good points. And for me, to my black brother now, it's like do better, <laughs> you know. And like, yeah. this, no, that's real. It's just like it's <laughs> do better. Like, yes, that is the history. That is the story. And you should absolutely uncover that because and uncover that generational trauma and revisit that because that is a part of your healing. But it still can't be the reason why it can't be an explanation for your actions today. And I think to do so, especially this councilman, Trayon White, is just so it's crazy. How are you going to be in a position of power and people elected you to, I, you know, I'm assuming to uplift the black community? Absolutely. And this is how you talk yeah. about a black child. That's insane. Right. right. Like it just you just have to do disappointing. Better. It's so disappointing. Yeah. And uh, just so irresponsible. It's so irresponsible. Like our words carry so much and people are unfortunately looking to us to validate their bullshit, right? To validate their own hatefulness, to validate their own lack of understanding. And so for you to just like put it on a platter for them, yes, you don't have to care about this child being killed because we have seen um, de-escalation techniques being used on mass murderers after they've killed six people. Right. And But we can't, you know, are you serious right now? Are you fucking fucking kidding me and i like I, I you know don't excuse the profanity it's completely valid because this is insanity you know so yeah it's just it's just where we're at and so i i get what you're saying and i'm at a place with black men where it's you have to unpack that generational trauma and what are those like internalized ideas of self-hate that you've also internalized and again i always i talk about this but i'm gonna bring it up again this obsession with non-black women and white women is is this a result of your own issues with your mom right you know, like honestly in this you know i'm gonna i'm gonna share this and it's so hurtful for me that i can even share this but i've had at least a couple of black men that i've dated in the past you know when we're breaking up and we're like you know moving on they're just like yeah now i'm about to go on and get me a white girl because she'll treat me better what why is that your response to our breakdown in communication, why does it have to be? And I think sometimes, and whether it's in music, on social media, wherever it may be, black men weaponize the idea that black women are unattractive, that darker skinned black women are less, like less desirable, that whatever, the like, they do that. And it's, 
I don't know, just to like tear down black women. And I just, I don't understand where that comes from. And for me, that's a symbol of you are not rooted in this idea of collected liberate, collective liberation. It comes from a very just self-hating place. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all, all valid points. And um, uh, as you were talking, it kind of reminded me of that instance that happened recently with um, the UNC coach, yes. Yo. Um, Hubert Davis. <laughs> Uh, and he, being uh, you know the the first African American to hold that position as like uh, you know the head coach of um, basketball at UNC, like you know, in in the same breath, like he talks about how proud he is of, of that fact, but also how proud that he is that his wife is white. And what? I feel like it just it, that that comment just came out of left field. Like literally, I'm trying to understand like you know the placement of that statement within like, the context, and I'm just struggling um to to kind of understand it. And was this just another instance of that man using proximity to to whiteness yes. as some marker of accomplishment? Which goes back to to your point, like you know, is this like you know some internalized like you know self hatred that like we're seeing manifest in real time? I, I, I don't know, but I just thought that it was it was a little bit strange to say the least that like he kind of just blurted that out out of so the blue. Right. It's like he's <laughs> like, and I'm proud of that fact. I'm proud that we have like what does this mean? And like also why does progress right. to some black men, why does progress does it why does it not include black women? Right? Like yeah. why is the progress in the world that you all are looking to achieve, why does it so often not include black women? That for me, again, I think going back into why don't you value the partnership of black women? And again, that's your, that is, I, I don't, maybe that's a different conversation. I know we've mostly talked about, you know, their idea, black men's ideas in terms of being more capitalistic. But I, yeah. I think that it's also just reflective of black men often imagine a world and that black women do not exist in. And you see that in music videos, you see that on different social media accounts. And like, that's not to say that we need to be like all like we need to keep it in the family. But I don't think you see other men from other races who tear down, disregard their women, the the women within their racial group, the, the way that black men do. Like, black men take it to a whole new extreme. White men, people of different backgrounds, they're not talking about white women the way they're not talking about the women within the racial class the racial group the way that black men do and i think that's another way like that's also something that black men need to impact like that is some real self-hatred especially if your mom's black where is that coming from do you need to put do you need to unpack and heal that that's the other thing for black men and black women because sometimes black women we are projecting our own daddy issues onto the men in our life we have to to heal our shit so we can be better for other people. We have to heal our stuff so we don't project it onto the other others unnecessarily. And would it just not deserve? Yeah, I mean, um, so earlier you mentioned that you know some typical responses of your exes, like you know when, like you know the relationship has ended, and I think you know that's also pretty disappointing. Like, you know, why is the first thing to say, like, you know, I'm gonna find myself a a white woman who treats me better and all that. And I think um, that that is disappointing. And it's, it's just interesting because I think as men, like, you know, we, or even as boys, like, you know, we were kind of raised like a certain way. I think there wasn't an expectation for us to be as chivalrous, like respectful gentlemen. We often hear 
this idea that boys will be boys. <laughs> but on the same time, like, you know, um, girls needed to behave, dress, present themselves in a certain way to be acceptable, which I think, you know, that, that is kind of a perpetuation of, you know, this, this very disappointing cycle. But now, like, you know, when, as we're older and, like, you know, women start to call us out, rightfully so, on our shit. And just to, um, to hold us a little bit more accountable to our actions. And overall, when they're trying to show us, like, you know, what we, we need to do to, to be a decent human being, right? That's, that's where, like, black women tend to be more difficult, if you will, or like, oh, I can't stand, like, you know, black women, or I'm gonna, go to somebody else because like, they treat me better and all that. And it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, that statement that says, like, you know, equality feels like oppression when you've had certain privileges. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, that that is really the, the case that we're seeing, like, you know, play out in real time before our eyes. To be honest, I think, you know, there's this, like, uh, this um, concept of accountability that uh, we just really need to internalize. I also think that um, this, these conversations need to need to happen, but they're also it's important for us to create spaces for both like you know black women and black men to to express um, their pain, their frustration with each other because plenty of us are holding on to the pain that is generations old, yeah. um, and then that pain kind of like metamorphoses into like toxic behaviors through time and we're actually seeing all these like you know toxic behaviors being played out in real time for example like you know saying to a black woman that like you know i'm gonna find myself a nice white woman because i can't stand you that kind of thing you know yeah it's it's hurtful it's like it also didn't tell me that just like but that's it's all good you dodged the bullet i did right we um i think you just bring up a good point i guess just transitioning into solutions because you know this is the inky comment we're trying to provide those spaces right for us to have conversations that as black people we need to have about black people like we're centering us right now and we don't want to like unpack all of this trauma without leaving us with some solutions in terms of next steps right i think we've been talking a lot about it which is healing our own stuff right and healing for me and like healing my relationships that i can show up better for black men is really unpacking my own trauma and my own hurt that i've experienced in my in my own life with black men right whether that be my 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 father or my grandfather and really like unpacking that so i can build the the empathy and to be able to understand like, yo, I understand your perspective. I understand that it was hard for you to be like a black firefighter. And I also can say in the same breath that we deserved better treatment. Right. And I think it's like, how can we get to that place of just holding space for both people? And, you know, again, for black men with this domestic violence and sexual assault, whatever the case may be and how like toxic masculinity, how it shows up to your point you know, building your individual capacity to be accountable for that, but just know that it doesn't define you, right? Like acknowledging right. that it is an issue, acknowledging that we should hold higher stand- standards for black men does not take away your value today. It just means that you need to do better. And it's okay if you need to do better, <laughs> you know, like we all need <laughs> to do better. Weird. And like, you don't yeah, have to get defensive sure. about it, right? Like, and that goes for black women too, yeah. in the same ways that we need to be better. We, we just need to be better. So that's that's where I that's where I'm at. What are your thoughts? So in in this um, healing process, as much as like you know, we as Batman need to kind of own up to the fact that we haven't been the best for our black women. Like we need to like hold ourselves accountable to that. I think I'm going to bring in like you know the the black woman here as well, and acknowledge the fact that 
you know, black women oftentimes help to perpetuate these systems of oppression against yes, uh, other black point. women by yes. by not necessarily holding the men in their lives accountable when yes. they perpetuate, like, you know, or raising them, right? <laughs> or, or even raising them, right? Yeah. Which I think, you know, uh, a lot of times, like, you know, we as a people enable certain types of bullshit from people within our circle without, like, you know, actually challenging them to, to be better and do a better job. Uh, you know, treating uh, the people that they love with more dignity and love and respect. So I think, you know, we all have some work to do in this capacity. I think one of the things that I, I hate to see, though, is this, that conversations like this um, play out um, in social media, particularly on Twitter, where like, I think emotions run run high and a lot of times like, the conversations become a bit surface level and lack nuance, compassion, and understanding. And it also invites, like, you know, mixed company into the conversation as well, which is something that I absolutely don't like to see. That part, that <laughs> I mean, these part. are. <laughs> we have the Iki Sorry. Exactly. I know. That's why I'm like, No, but it, it is real, though. I think that, you know, we need to reserve, like, these very difficult but necessary conversations for for spaces in which we can actually air our grievances among each other without, you know, the the um the infection eyes. of <laughs> of like, you know, outside voices and the commentary because like that does no good. And we're in effect like, you know, bringing others into the conversation and turning others against us, um, which leads to perpetual destruction rather than like, you know, helping our cause. Yeah, no, so good. So good. I, yes, this was such a great conversation, Francois. I completely agree with you. We need these spaces. Also with that, how can we engage? And if we are going to engage on these conversations on social media, because it's going to happen in the comments on Twitter, let's do it with empathy and respect. You know, like to that yep. point, we don't need to amplify the toxicity that like, you know, could be an external influence or whatever it may be. Like we don't have to feed into that. And it's how can we, yeah. again, engage in dialogue instead of debate? Because <laughs> I think we really all well do said. want dialogue, right? Like we want to be, we want exactly. to be healed. We want to love each other. We want things to be better. So we just have to get there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Francois. That was great. Thank you for listening to the Inky Comet. If you are enjoying the podcast, subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Inky Comet to continue the conversation. Also, be sure to check out the Inky Comet soundtrack on Spotify. Until next time, be encouraged.